Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Iran is one of the countries most devastated by the COVID-19 pandemic. It has the Middle East's highest rate of per capita infections, and the death toll is rising. A new study from the Sharif University of Technology in Tehran warns of an unspeakable catastrophe. It projects infections will not peak until late May and estimates the death toll could reach as high as 3.5 million people. U.S. sanctions on Iran have played a devastating role during the pandemic, preventing the import of vital medical equipment. Yet, instead of dropping the sanctions on Iran, the Trump administration is adding new ones. They've got a terrible problem there, and we want that humanitarian medical healthcare assistance to get to the people of Iran. But the sanctions themselves, no, no movement. We are, we, are, we are working to do all the things we've had in place for the first three years here to deliver security for the American people. They know the answer. Iran. They know the answer. Iran. The leaders. They know the answer to your question. Well, to discuss the impact of U.S. sanctions on the COVID-19 pandemic in Iran, I spoke earlier to Asil Rad, research fellow at the National Iranian American Council. Asil, welcome to Pushback. Can you give us an overall layout of how the pandemic is ravaging Iran right now and how U.S. sanctions are making it worse? Well, sanctions created uh, an atmosphere that combined with something like this uh, new virus, right? Something that human beings have no immunity to. We're seeing how it's devastating different places in the world. Italy, obviously, China being the original epicenter. But Iran was particularly set up for failure, partially, of course, because of the mismanagement of the government itself. The government, uh, the first case in Iran was February 19th. They had parliamentary elections on February 21st, which they decided to move forward with. Um, this is one of the criticisms of the state that they decided to move forward with elections, knowing the fact that they have cases of the coronavirus. Uh, in addition to that, maybe a very slow response, not taking it as seriously, and just mismanagement in, in even the medical sector, trying to you know, get, uh, get to patients as quickly as possible. On top of that, though, you have a situation in Iran where the public health sector is already deeply stressed because of sanctions. Sanctions have now, I mean, Iran has always been under sanctions, but the sanctions that the Trump administration has imposed since pulling out of the nuclear deal back in uh, 2018 have really devastated the economic system and hurt the medical sector. So one of the things that's always gets said is that humanitarian aid and you know medical supplies and food are exempt from sanctions. But because banking transactions have basically been blocked, there's no way for them to actually get the humanitarian aid. And just to, to exemplify the fact that the U.S. was well, well aware of this fact, just a couple of weeks back, the U.S. Treasury eased some slightly eased transactions for the Central Bank of Iran which implicitly shows that they knew that these transactions weren't happening, even though they kept saying, well, on paper, there's uh, humanitarian sanctions, humanitarian goods are exempt. But in reality, they weren't getting there. So now you have a perfect storm. Well, you have a new virus, you have a government that mismanages, and sanctions that have devastated an economy and allowed uh, you know, dwindling supplies within the medical fields. Can you explain how, so when the U.S. says that we have these humanitarian exemptions and Iran can purchase the medical equipment that it needs. The whole world should know that humanitarian assistance into Iran is wide open. It's not sanctioned. 
we've offered to provide assistance to the Iranians as well. I talked with Dr. Tedros from the World Health Organization about this. Uh, we're doing everything we can to facilitate both the humanitarian assistance moving in and to make sure that financial transactions connected to that can take place as well. There is no sanction on medicines going to Iran. There's no sanctions on humanitarian assistance going into that country. How in practice, how that just does not actually work? That's not actually how it goes. Well, so in theory, you could say, hey, you can, you can purchase these items. But if there's no bank that is willing to allow the transaction, then how do you get the items? The idea from the U.S. side is, well, we didn't say that, you know, uh, medicine can't be imported into Iran. They can buy medicine. But again, there's no bank that will do the transaction. If, you're, if the central bank of Iran is sanctioned itself, then there's no way of actually doing the transaction itself. So it's much like saying, you know, you can go into the store and you're allowed to purchase whatever you want, but they don't accept your cash. They, don't, they won't accept your credit card. So this is the disconnect where people say, yeah, sanctions uh, exempt humanitarian aid, but it's not actually happening on the ground. On the ground, they're not able to get certain supplies. Iran recently requested a $5 billion emergency loan from the IMF. I believe it's the first time it's ever done that. Can you talk about the significance of that? And there, there's widespread speculation that the U.S., as it apparently just did in Venezuela, will step in to block that loan. So I, I believe actually it's been about 50 years since uh, Iran has requested any funding from the IMF. It's the first time that the Islamic Republic, which has now been around for 41 years, is the first time that they've reached out to the IMF asking for a loan. Um, the U.S. can, if it, if it wishes to, the U.S. can block that loan. But of course, there's international calls not only telling the U.S., at the very least, don't block their ability to get this loan, but also that the U.S. should lift sanctions. Um, and of course, you mentioned at the very beginning that not only has the U.S. not lifted sanctions, the U.S. actually just imposed more sanctions. And that was uh, from the Secretary of State yesterday. And how have U.S. sanctions impacted ways of life in Iran beyond purchasing medical equipment, just you know, normal commerce, and how the impacts there contribute to the crisis in its own ways? Well, look, we can look at the United States to, just to understand a parallel. Okay, right now in the U.S., there's two levels of sort of panic. The first level of panic is about the virus itself, um, our ability to fight it. Hopefully people won't get sick. So that's why we're doing things like social distancing, uh, self-quarantining. But there is a second aspect that people are panicked about, and that's the economic aspect, right? If businesses are closed, if people can't go to work, now all of a sudden uh, a country where the vast majority live paycheck to paycheck, are their entire livelihood is compromised. So it's not just your physical health, but your well-being economically. Now in the case of Iran, that well-being, that economic well-being has already been devastated, right? So they've been living through these sanctions that has, uh, I, there are numbers that say the, the economy has shrunk by, I've seen numbers like eight or 9%. So the, the economy has been clearly devastated already. And so you have a population of people who, even if the materials are there, let's say there's the first problem, which is there isn't the supplies, but let's say that the supplies is there. They can't even afford it, right? So there's two waves of pain sort of hitting them at the same time. And that's the fact that their economy is devastated. They don't have, they don't themselves have the means to purchase certain things. And the fact that those things aren't even there for them to purchase. You know, I've spoken to uh, friends and family who say, we can't find meat. We can't even find it. Even if we want to purchase it, we can't find it. And then there are the people who say, well, even if it exists, we can't purchase it. 
So it's a double sort of problem that's happening in Iran right now. And, and that's why I'm using the U.S. as a parallel. We can understand it because without it even happening, our economy has not been devastated yet. But we're so worried that it's going to be. We're trying to figure out solutions. In the case of Iran, when they're sanctioned, when their number one uh, source of state income is through oil, and the United States has sanctioned that, put secondary sanctions so no one can buy Iranian oil, then you can imagine uh, the effect it would have on the economy. There was a recent article in Bloomberg saying that, according to a study, 99% of the people who have died in Italy of the coronavirus had some kind of underlying condition uh, that made them particularly susceptible to the coronavirus. And I was wondering how this translates to underlying conditions and previous conditions inside Iran, where you've seen reports where people who suffered from the chemical warfare by Saddam Hussein during the 1980s, uh, which of course, as we know, was supported by the U.S. at the time, how that segment of the population inside Iran, which is considerable, uh, are all the more susceptible now to the coronavirus, and even, and even some of the victims who have died so far are people who fall in that category. I'm wondering if you could talk about that aspect of this. Absolutely. There are thousands of Iranians, uh, especially veterans, who were, effect, who were hit by chemical weapons, and so their respiratory system is uh, already damaged because of the chemical warfare used by Saddam Hussein during that war, 1980-1988. So now that group of people, which again is thousands of people, are uh, much more susceptible to this virus because as we know, if you already have any conditions that affect your respiratory system, this hits you much, much harder. This is one of the reasons why older patients are, ten are predominantly the people who are dying in this process or in this situation. So. I'm glad you brought up the war. One of the other aspects of the war that's that's interesting to consider right now is if you look at the way that the Iranian state, that the Islamic Republic is is creating a narrative, disseminating information about the coronavirus, they're looking at it very much like the war. And, and we've seen, again, the same rhetoric in the United States, right? The president of the United States has multiple times said this is a war with an invisible enemy. So this isn't discourse that's exclusive to Iran. It's the type of discourse that we see a lot of states using, that this is a war. This is a war with a virus. So Iran is using the same kind of discourse going back to the Iran-Iraq war and actually paralleling the medical staff in Iran, nurses, doctors, anybody working on the front lines of combating this virus and comparing them directly to war veterans. So the other aspect of the war that's really interesting, because you brought up the fact the United States supported Saddam in that war. Iran felt in the 1980s and didn't just feel, you know, uh, it was very true that it was really sort of the world against Iran in that war. The, the most powerful country in the world supported Saddam Hussein. Uh, Iran was still reeling from a revolution um, and they didn't really have, you know, their military was in disarray, which is typical after you have a revolution. And the only thing as terms of the narrative itself, the only thing that helped them through that war was, you know, their faith, their ideology and you know manpower human beings iranians fighting for national and religious causes and so now that parallel is being seen because in certain ways they feel abandoned they feel left again you know yet again here's this situation in which innocent iranians are dying and you know there is of course some uh, help or some you know uh, what is it aid coming from 
other sources, but the, the most powerful country in the world, the largest economy in the world, is still saying no. Not only are they not helping, again, they're not lifting sanctions, something that Russia has called for, something that China has called for, something that even one of our allies, the UK, has said to ease sanctions on Iran. So this isn't, uh, a, a, this should not be a politicized issue. This should be something that is treated for what it is, a global pandemic. And we're not seeing that response with the United States vis-a-vis -vis Iran. We're seeing it be politicized. So finally, we obviously have a Trump administration that is filled with regime change fanatics, neocons who are hell-bent on regime change in Iran, even if it means killing hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people, as some of the studies are warning now. But I want to ask you about the Democrats' role in this, because back in 2017, Bernie Sanders was the only Democrat in either chamber to vote against sanctions on Iran that were part of a broader sanctions bill against Iran, Russia, and North Korea. And even now, you do have Democrats like Elizabeth Warren who voted for those sanctions back then, who are now speaking out against the Trump administration's sanctions on Iran. But the rhetoric is still promoting regime change. So as an example, I want to play for you a clip of Senator Chris Murphy speaking to MSNBC. New sanctions announced by the U.S. on Iran yesterday by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. How, what do you think of that? It, it's, it's not smart and it borders on inhumane. Listen, our sanctions aren't working, let's just be honest. Uh, it hasn't stopped Iranian proxies from firing at U.S. troops. It hasn't stopped the Iranians from rebuilding their nuclear program. It hasn't stopped them from ramping up support for their proxy forces in places like Syria and Yemen. So our sanctions just haven't been working to begin with. And now to layer on additional sanctions, which will have the results of making it harder to treat the people who are dying in that country from coronavirus, um, A, doesn't serve our national security interests and ultimately undermines what our long-term goal is, and that is for the Iranian people to ultimately rise up and dispossess an anti-American regime. Remember, young people in Iran are not reflexively anti-American, um, but they will become anti-American very quickly if they see us yeah. um, essentially leading to the further death and destruction that coronavirus is ravaging throughout that country. All right, Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, thank you for so that's Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Asal, if you could respond to that, Murphy framing his opposition to these sanctions uh, through the prism of them not being helpful towards the goal of regime change. Senator Murphy said something about it borders on inhumane. No, it is inhumane. It doesn't border on anything. The fact that there are that we're not lifting sanctions during a pandemic, during something that for you know many is unprecedented. Nobody's seen something like this. Many people haven't seen this kind of uh, global emergency in their lifetimes. And the fact that we're not making an exception right now is incredibly problematic for those people in that country, but also globally, because it's a pandemic. So we need to be working together. That is a this is a perfect opportunity for the United States to take that step and lift sanctions. From there, Iran, as it has promised over and over again, would return to the deal. So we would get back to a place where, you know, the United States is not participating in absolutely inhumane policies, which is we're not lifting sanctions despite a global pandemic. But on top of that, you would get Iran back into a deal where, uh, you know, they have, they're prevented from being able to get a nuclear weapon which is really the only goal that the Trump administration has ever made clear, that the president himself has ever made clear, is that he doesn't want Iran to, to get a weapon. 
So going back to that foundation is the best way for us to end escalation in the region. We're seeing, despite all of these other things that are happening, we're still seeing escalation in Iraq, right? Iraq is being used as sort of a, a playground for the United States and Iran to, to fight out their own hostilities. And that's causing instability in the region, instability in Iraq and Iran. And we can really take steps to curtail all of that if we can start with the lifting of sanctions. And I think this is the perfect opportunity for the Trump administration to do that. Asselrad, Research Fellow at the National Iranian American Council. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me.